1: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson.
0: Happy hump day, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Just like the guy in the intro says, hopefully everybody's having a great week. We got another kick-ass podcast today and uh, today is our guest's third time uh, and we're going to be talking with Brent Gargas. and if you've been following the story with Br- uh, Brent, it is the purchase of his property that him and his wife went through, then they started managing it for deer, Brent did, and uh, today's episode is where he's at with... The property management, the habitat improvement, the food plots, and uh, just an overall update from straight from the horse's mouth of a landowner of what it takes and how he is approaching the habitat improvement and land management on his on his piece of property. I ask him um, a ton of questions about you know things he wishes he would have done different, things that are going just fine and his plans for the future uh, so if you've been following the story it's another it's just another extension of of the story so uh, I'm happy with it I, I found it very interesting because someday just like I'm sure many of you my goal at some point is to become a landowner of hunting property. Um, that's what I work for every day. That's why I am tr- trying to pay off debt and put money into savings so someday I can afford that property and, uh, you know, always planning. So that's what today's podcast is about. Now, let's see here. I got a I if you can hear this paper and you can probably hear my kids in the background screaming too, but, but let's see today's commercial which partner are we going to talk about today? Oh, and it is Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, these guys have been a partner of the podcast from day one for the most part. And uh, I put out their Lift 2 cameras oh, a couple months ago. And I went and checked them this last weekend. These pictures are crystal clear the nighttime pictures are badass the daytime pictures are even better and uh it's a very very high quality camera and just from just from the lift 1 version that i have to the lift 2 you can tell that these guys are dedicated to improving continuous improvement right uh, and one thing that i noticed that first stepped out was their trigger speed got shorter um I I started getting heads instead of you know full body. So, you know, let's say I have a um, a set of three pictures because I set each each episode basically for to take three pictures and then it waits a minute and takes three more. Uh, and I have all these over mineral uh, stations, so I have a lot of pictures. But what I've noticed is I'm getting the deer walking up. To the trail cameras and not to say that the uh the lift one is bad because it's not but i can tell you right now that the lift two is a big improvement and uh, that's awesome because that was the lift one was their very first camera and uh to see the improvement on the lift two is just uh they're definitely heading in the right direction so uh, if you guys want to find out more information about exodus Trail cameras, please visit ExodusOutdoorgear.com. And when you guys do decide to purchase a trail camera, please enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And you will receive $20 off of your purchase. That's a pretty good uh, deal, if you ask me. Be sure to check it out. And now, enough talking. Let's get into today's. I don't know, just a Good old conversation about property podcast with returning guest, Brent Gargus. All right. On the phone with me now for another property update is uh friend of the podcast, Brent Gargus. How you doing today, Brent?
1: Hey, I'm doing well, Dan. How about yourself?
0: I think me and you are in the same boat, right? Uh, slowly starting to uh, get fired up for the upcoming season.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I think... I don't know if the fire ever went out. Every day, it's only about seventy degrees out today. Actually, in the sixties now, it feels like it feels like it's here. It's uh, getting me amped up. Right, absolutely.
0: Uh, I think in Iowa, it's been the coldest the 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 coldest August in like several years. Because I don't even know if it's if it's hit ninety in August this month.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, Yeah. you guys are uh, are you affected by the the drought that's going on out there? Now, the, my main
0: farm is to the south, but up here, man, we're behind on rain, but we're not, uh, we're below the average, but not struggling like they are. Okay. I talked okay. with some, I talk with some friends down south and they are, uh, no knock on wood, but, uh, no EHD sightings yet, uh, mm-hmm. around the area that I hunt, uh, still has the, you know, there's still that opportunity for it to happen, but, uh. Crops are stunted because there hasn't been enough water. The kernels on the corn have it uh, completed, the the beans. Um, I, I think the one guy said that he didn't even get pods on his bean field. So oh, jeez. That's, uh that's never good.
1: No, no, that's terrible, absolutely terrible. E- EHD was where my head was going because that wasn't that long ago you guys got hammered with it, and I thought another round, oh, man, that'd yeah. be brutal. 2012...
0: Uh, certain areas got hit pretty hard. My farm, luckily, you know, and I know, like a lot of people say, it revolves around the stagnant water. Um, Mm -hmm. And luckily, some of the 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 farms that I hunt, um, the water is in ponds, which I I'd never found in the two or three ponds that are on the farm that I hunt. Uh, No dead deer in there. When I go shed hunting, I I uh, didn't find any dead deer that I think, you know, suffered from EHD and what else? Um, I don't know. just, and and we have a uh, constant running water uh, just because okay. of the, the lay of the land. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's still a lot of mud, but I don't know, man. It's just a, a guessing game at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Stressful enough. I mean, geez, oh man. What about you? you worry enough. It's been, uh, I I would, you know, I'm still somewhat new to Ohio, but the general geographic area, we've we've had rain on a somewhat continual basis. It seems like at least once a week we get some rain. Right. So it hasn't been bad.
0: Perfect. Perfect.
1: So let's see here.
0: Today's podcast is going to be kind of uh, an extension or uh, a part, what is this, part three, because we – what, what I'm going to recommend to all the listeners is to go back and listen to, uh, the, cause this is the third time, right? This is the third time you've been on the podcast.
1: Yeah. I think it was, uh, December and then April. Yep. December and April.
0: Year. We, uh, we launched two additional podcasts about your property. We talked about, you know, buying the property, getting it. And then I think the second, uh, or making the commitment to purchase the property and all the stuff that goes along with it. And then uh, the second podcast was about how you started your habitat improvement projects. And then from April to till today, there has been quite a lot that you've done, and that's what today's podcast is going to be. So let's just get right into it, and uh, let's kind of backtrack all the way till to April when we discussed – your initial habitat improvement um, job tasks that you did on your farm. And then we'll kind of progress to uh, to what you're doing today. Yeah, it sounds good. So, so uh,
1: go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No worries. Sorry. No worries. So uh, uh, April, you know, last time we talked you know, we I think we had left off with, I had plans for the new food plots and yep. I really hadn't done anything with them yet. It was just the barren ground I hadn't seeded. So I ended up seeding, Pretty much all of the food plots. So three food plots in buckwheat. I thought, you know, I limed them and fertilized them and did that whole gamut. Liming them was quite the the process because I didn't have a trailer for my truck and I had to get 50 pound bags of pelletized lime. And I think I I forget how many thousands of pounds I got, but I ended up having to make three or four trips to the farm to get the the bags and you know, take them back in the woods with a tractor and use a 200 pound spreader and drive all around and spread the line because the soil was so bad. So like, you know, that was my big task. I think I'd left off with you that was next on my to-do list. Right.
0: So, so got got that 50, done. So 50 pound, 50 pound bags, but how many, so remind us again, how many acres worth of food plots this was?
1: Not many. So I would say one is about a third of an acre. Another one's a quarter of an acre. And the other one that I did was a little over half an acre. Okay. And those were all the new ones.
0: Right. So you had three different locations, nothing too terribly big from a a food Mm -hmm. plot standpoint, but 50 pound bags and how many thousand pounds did you have to put on that area?
1: I want to say it was like 7000 pounds total gee many christmas Well yeah the, the I did a soil test on them once cuz this these areas used to be timber I mean completely right. closed canopy timber so cut the trees down pulled the stumps out the whole big brand new open area and the one area had a soil pH of 4.7 another one was 5 and then one was 5.2 so the, the 4.7 required, and it was the smallest luckily, but it required so much pelletized lime that I literally think I covered the entire ground with pelletized lime by the time I was done putting it down Right. and then disking it in and everything. It was, you know, I'm probably gonna have to do it again next year or put pulverized down. I think it did the trick though. Cause the buckwheat really took off. Well, uh, grew really, really well in all the plots that the deer hammered it in the one the furthest one back in and they really didn't let it grow up more than a foot and then the other two you know it it got thick real tall real thick ended up bringing a ton of turkeys I've never seen turkeys that many turkeys before and had tons and tons of turkeys still still are seeing them too right
0: so I mean that's great for uh, turkey habitat I mean it sounds like you got a you know those you know. I think turkeys are drawn to open areas in uh, mm-hmm. certain instances, especially when they are um surrounded by timber uh, you know there's you know they don't not off a road or anything like that and as far as turkeys are concerned one of my one of my favorite spots to hunt is kind of something you just described where it's it's an open pasture but it's surrounded by timber and they just love to congregate there
1: yeah i mean it It the trail cameras are telling me that too they're whenever that uh buckwheat it grew and it matured, so it reseeded itself, and that really pulled them in. Because then those seeds fell off, and they, you know, they were eating them before I got, you know, killed it and got rid of it. They, there was tons of turkeys in there.
0: Right, right. So buckwheat, uh, you ended up planting it, and it's uh, it took off, right? In all three plots, any problems um, with the not
1: with gro- what's growing
0: it. Not with growing it. So what about the application process? Any learning experiences there?
1: uh you know with putting it in buckwheat's pretty easy to grow i would i would warn anybody that's listening if you're going to grow buckwheat kill it before it matures don't let it go to seed again because i am now dealing with a whole nother seed bed of buckwheat that i thought i killed and it's now growing up in the plots that i've reseeded for fall and it's coming in just as thick as when i put it down and i had sprayed it after it started growing again and it's another wave of it's coming through so that was a a learning experience. So
0: that was just, that buckwheat was just for a summer food plot, right?
1: Yeah, I was really using it for weed control uh, for the most part because it grows, it, it really grows in thick, tall canopies and it would help keep the weeds down in the spring until I was ready to plant my fall plots. I thought about putting clover in, And then I was going back and forth about how much am I going to be battling weeds if I just try to plant clover in these brand new plots. So um, in talking to, um, bouncing off Eric Long, he suggested buckwheat because it grows real fast and easy, canopied, it worked really well.
0: And then was that a a really good food source? Did that bring the deer in for uh, the summer months?
1: It did. It did, especially in the, the new plots back in the woods. There's one plot that's closer to my house that's sort of, away from where i think the majority of the deer bed and there was a few does and some fawns that used it relatively routinely but it it was able to grow the one plot back in the woods uh the one that's about a quarter of an acre they it never that one never matured because the deer never let it get much taller than a foot
0: right okay um and trail cameras uh did did those food plots alone were they responsible for bringing in any new deer to your
1: area? I think just opening up areas in the woods brought deer to the area and all of the hinge cutting I did really in some of the spots got very, very, very thick and it's only the first year of growth. So I was pleasantly surprised by how that worked out. So, I really think that's holding the does around the property, whereas last year they weren't there. I wasn't getting daylight pictures of even does back there, and that's the polar opposite now. There's a lot of does. There's tons of daylight pictures. I don't know if the buckwheat would have brought them in because there's so much green growing right now. I can't imagine that really stood out to them. But as soon as I opened up those areas, even in the winter, it's like a magnet deer. just They were just drawn to this. Brand new open area, almost like they're just curious, right?
0: So, you mentioned hinge cutting, and I want to I want to talk in depth about because of all the projects that you've done over this past year, hinge cutting and opening up the canopy to the forest floor sounded like it was your number one mission on that property. Is that accurate statement?
1: Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent.
0: Okay, so this this spring and winter you went in there and you went bananas right you you were cutting down a lot of stuff you were opening up uh you know you were hinge cutting trees and then what else did you do you did what's that called when you uh cut the just the bark around it um
1: oh uh girdling
0: girdling you girdled a couple big big trees as well correct
1: yeah i did i, I girdled a whole bunch of trees too um i girdled a couple really really large red oak trees that were probably causing more harm than they're helping me, even if they were producing acorns, and um, they didn't even leaf out the first year. Some of the maples that I girdled leafed out to begin with, but they've already died, or the leaves are actively dying much faster than the other trees, and just I didn't want that many trees down on the ground, I guess right, right.
0: so you know, five months later, let's see let's see April. May, June, July, August. Here we are, roughly four four months later, five months later. It's green, and you said it's grown in there really thick. Um, is it too thick? Is it just the right amount of thickness? I mean, are there some things that you would have done different or changed, uh, knowing what you know now?
1: Yeah. So I remember you asking that question last time. You know, if I made any mistakes or if I would have done anything differently, and I really didn't have an answer for you in April. I most certainly have answers for you now. Okay. That was, uh, (laughs) so in cutting the trees in the winter, I could have saved myself probably a lot of time had the trees had leaves on them. When I hinge cut them, I thought I was cutting down the trees in certain areas that were going to allow the most sun in. And there's certain pockets that I cut that aren't growing that well right now. And when I went in there and looked, it's because one tree or maybe two trees, we're still blocking out enough light that I'm like, okay, those two got to come down this winter. Right. Where you know, in the winter, it's it's a little more difficult than I expected in terms of knowing which tree to cut down. Right. Other areas, I cut the right trees down, and I'll tell you, it's probably just dumb luck because I um I didn't do it perfect in all the whole property. So the areas I cut the right trees down really grew in well. I did take a lot of time and after I cut them to make sure. I cut trails through them. I didn't just make it a giant mess of treetops. I tried to keep it as clean as I could so the deer could still move around. But I haven't really gone into those thickets at all since it turned green. I just am seeing them when I'm going past them on the tractor or doing any of the food plot work back there. I'm driving past those areas, and I can see down in the bottom of the the hills just how thick it really got. Right, right. So do you think –
0: because the last time we talked, you said you were, you know you were going in there with a chainsaw and you were continue you continually cutting and cutting and cutting. Mm-hmm. And you said, I think at one point, I probably need to stop, but I, I've kept going. Are there any examples of you cutting down too many trees in a specific area?
1: Uh, probably not, because it's such so close canopy. I think I cut down. A lot of trees, I could have cut down less trees probably and had a, just as good of an impact if I would have cut down some of the the bigger trees maybe that have canopied out now. <clears throat> I actually even went in recently and I, I texted my buddy Ben, the one who gives me a hard time. And I said, I broke my promise to you because I went in and I cut down like 10 more trees right. five weeks ago. And it was just to allow some sunlight to hit a food plot that wasn't wasn't getting in there. I, I don't know if I could overdo it back there I, It was I don't know how to describe a lot of the I'd say ten inch eight to ten inch diameter maple trees, just tons and tons and tons of those, and you have to cut down so many of them to let that light in right so
0: okay, so the hinge cutting right you in the you know clearing out some of these big trees, the girdling. It's done its job. It's allowed the sunlight to get to the forest floor. Um, from a from a property standpoint, were you a- able to get any money out of some of these trees that you cut down?
1: Uh, I cut down junk trees. Okay, junk uh, trees. I did have a, yeah, I had a forester come in, and we went through the property rather extensively. Actually, I had two of them come in. We went through it pretty extensively, looked at all the trees, and the one gentleman who I really wanted to work with. Uh, didn't really have much to offer me at the time. So he pointed out the trees to me to leave alone. He yeah. kind of helped me along the way of saying, these are the trees you want to look for. You know, I, I had no idea what the value of a tree really was. You know, if it grows up and it starts to, to look like a slingshot, he said, just cut those trees down and they're not going to be worth anything. Right. So I, I went through and just cut down all the, the junk maples, soft maples. And I, I didn't touch one white oak. I, if anything, I I'm hoping that I helped myself in the future, get some money out of those trees. Right.
0: Right. So were there any trees like oak trees that you maybe were big and wanted to cut down uh, to allow sunlight in, but you know, obviously deer eat acorns. So you decided, Hey, let's leave them up for an alternate food source.
1: Yeah, I was really hesitant to touch any of the white oaks. It really was. I mean, they produced last year like crazy. I don't know this year if the crop – people around me are saying they're seeing a lot of acorns. I haven't really noticed that many back there. But I, I didn't want to touch any of the white oaks for, one, the food source, and then investment-wise down the road, if I can harvest some of those trees and make back some of the money that I just put into lime and everything else I've done back there, I'd be happy with that.
0: At least break even on it, huh?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm
0: trying to tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ask me no questions. I tell you no lies. Right? Exactly. So don't <laughs> ask me. The, the, don't ask me too many
1: questions. That's all.
0: <laughs> that's right. Okay. So, you, overall, how like how from from the letting sunlight onto the forest floor. Overall, how well do you think? I mean that that work has that allowed more deer to start bedding in there? I mean, has it done its job?
1: I think I'm happy with what I'm seeing after a year. I'm really excited to see what year two and year three will bring from this first cut. You know, I have more cuts I'm going to do this coming year to a couple other areas, but some, I mean, a couple of the areas really thickened up like crazy. You could see a couple hundred yards through this woods last year yeah, And now you're, you're talking, you can see 10 yards in some places or less. Right. And you, you could, uh, see the forest floor for a long way, just standing there. And now you, you can't, you know, I, I'm really pleased with what it looks like. And I, I had no idea it would grow as fast as it did. Awesome.
0: Well, that's awesome. Um, and, and this is, this is year one, right? I mean, you didn't start this project until, you know, what, December of this last year?
1: Yeah, I would say 2017 was really when I started this. So we're, we're not even a full year into any of the improvements I've made. Right, right.
0: So as a hunter, right, we, we are, we got to start thinking about hunting season. It's coming up. Um, What, what did you plant or what are you in the process of planting for this upcoming hunting season?
1: Okay. I actually just seeded part of what I'm going to be planting last week because we had three days of rain forecasted and, um, I've been on the road a lot for work. So I had to get it in when I could get it in. So I planted red clover in two of the plots and I actually added a couple extra. I, I, I went from having three, which was my goal to I have five now. Um, two of which are pretty tiny ones, like a tenth of an acre. Right. Um, another one is, Extending out from my biggest food plot. So it's making that biggest food plot probably almost three quarters of an acre. I just had some room to extend up into the woods and it created kind of a cool funnel. So I thought, why not? Why not? Uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, I had the red clover left over anyway and I know it'll grow. So I, I seeded a few areas in red clover. I did another plot, the one that's about uh, half an acre or so. I did that one in a turnip mix. Yeah, okay. I, I get all my I get all my seed from this place called Merritt Seed. It's in a town called Berlin, Ohio, and it's a cool store. I mean, they have a ton of wildlife seed there. I mean, they make mixes. They'll make mixes if you want them to make you something. And it's just this little place I found, and I I don't know if it's a popular thing or not, but it it's only an hour away from me, and it was it's pretty sweet all the stuff that they have. So I got a turnip mix from them. There was um, couple different kinds of turnips in there there was a kale in it and i put that down another plot the one that's about a third of an acre it's actually shaped like a uh, hourglass yep i i did that one in a mixture of winter wheat peas and turnips okay and that would be my total seed mixture for all. Anything that I didn't do in a turnip or pea mix, I seeded in red clover first. And I have another seeding I'm going to do in September.
0: Gotcha. So when do you expect these food plots cuz I'm very green on the uh the food plot again in the food plot game. So when do you expect these food plots and these seed or seed mixtures to hit maturity? So you're hunting them at what time of year, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the the turnips and the pea-wheat turnip mix, those plots, because I planted the the winter wheat, the pea-turnip mix last year, and they hit that from probably mid-October clear through December. Okay. And they pushed it the whole way through. The plot I did in just turnips, I think that's going to be something that, if it grows, because the buckwheat is some sort of battling the buckwheat right, right now, if that grows and establishes itself well, that's going to be a more late season area. And that one's actually surrounded by Egyptian wheat too. I did a big plot screen the whole way around that, so it it has made it feel really, really secluded down in the, that little bottom.
0: So how tall did your uh, Egyptian wheat get?
1: Uh, some of it probably got 12, 13 feet Oh wow! Yeah, I've
0: seen uh, a couple pictures of guys who've planted that, that Egyptian wheat, and uh, it, it just look—it's crazy. It's like elephant. I call it—I mm-hmm. call that stuff elephant grass. I don't know if it's the same thing. The uh, I hunt a piece of property where I have to walk through some elephant grass, and it's like mm-hmm. ten, twelve foot, uh, twelve foot. Where I think what happens is the when the farmer fertilizes it, uh, it comes around and fertilizes. It makes a big bend to go back up on an adjacent finger. And that fertilizer hits CRP with some kind of grass. And, and when it comes to maturity, it blooms in these almost like feathers uh, on top oh, that's of it. Cool. And so I don't know if that's Egyptian wheat or what the hell it is, but it's really tall, it's really thick, and uh, it's awesome to walk up next to. So, you know, nothing can see you that's, you know, in the field for maybe, let's say, like a morning hunt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this will provide me some cover too. If I if I do drop a blind in that Egyptian wheat, like my plan is for late season, it'll be easy to bury it right in that and actually sneak in from behind it because the deer are not going to be coming from that direction. So right. it that grew pretty easy too. I just, after it germinated, I hit it with some urea and it just blew up. I mean, it, it's huge. What's urea? I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it. Uh, it's pretty pure, pure nitrogen.
0: Okay. So that's like a fertilizer then.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know how they say you see a bag and it says 191919 19, 19, or triple ten, or the different numbers that are on those fertilizer bags? Yeah. This will just say 40, this will just say 4600. Zero, zero.
0: 4600. Zero, zero.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the stuff I used. And it, you know, I, I read online to hit it about six weeks after it germinates. I did that and it seemed to work well enough. Nice. So, like,
0: f- for me, I'm getting the like, a lot of a lot of research, a lot of time spent educating yourself on how to do the process, and then also doing this food plot process. Uh, you know, because it sounds to me like in the past, in the food plot that I planted, I kind of half-assed it. I didn't do a soil sample. I added fertilizer. Mm-hmm. I added some. You know. Like three, bags of, like three bags of lime, which was nothing in the long run and um, <laughs> and kind of wasted my time because I didn't take the proper steps to do the research and educate myself of what I needed to do. Um, how much time would you say you spent on this property, not behind a chainsaw, but in front of a computer or like nose in a, a book or magazine, educating yourself on what you should do before you actually do it?
1: Oh boy. Um, geez. Uh, almost every day I am still to this point, if, if not every day, five days a week, I'm reading something or looking something up, whether it's even just shopping for seed online and finding a mixture that I like, and then researching the, the seeds that are in that mixture and seeing, you know, what will, will they do well? Cause the soil is still pretty poor out here. Will they do well in somewhat poor soil? And I I can't even put a number to that. I would say way more than I'm willing to. To uh, my wife will listen to this, so way more than I'm willing to say. <laughs> a lot, a lot of time. Yeah. Now a lot of time.
0: I have to ask, right? And and time, you know, there's not really any cost on time because it's your time, mm-hmm. you're doing it. But there is cost on seed. There's cost on lime. There's cost on fertilizer, and there's cost on let's even just say tractor gas. How mm-hmm. much money do you think you've spent on just these food plots on your property this year? And what's what do they total? Like a total of under three acres?
1: Oh, I'd say it's about an acre total. A okay. so one acre.
0: Oh, okay, a one acre total. So yeah, I'd how, say
1: in what I created. Yeah, right. Um, let's see. The seed this year was I bought cheap stuff: rye, clover, and all that. So I probably spent. 100 bucks, 120 bucks on seed. I think I spent 650 on lime. That's 720. I'd say 12 to 1500 bucks is what I spent. And I'm adding in tractor gas and things like that on these plots.
0: And and the new seed that you've already planted, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the new seed that I already planted. So
0: 1500 bucks. And I guess I could. I can understand that and that's – but the thing is that's for one acre. Just imagine some of these guys who have like hundreds or let's say like 50 acres worth of food plots over several properties. I mean like just imagine the food plots that the juries are planning or Lee Mm Lakoski is planning or um, some of the guys like the Lindsays. Like these guys are probably spending 20K a year in food plots.
1: So to put it into perspective, one of my, one of my friends, um, he's probably one of the most intelligent people when it comes to gaining hunting access and he's befriended this group of farmers. So he's, he's my age, he's 32 years old and he is good friends with this group of guys who are like 70 and I used to give him crap. I used to give him all the crap in the world for it, but he now has access to like a thousand acres to himself because he helps them on their farm and everything else. This one guy has an 80-acre just uh, hay field, and he had the lime it this year. He spent $20,000 in lime
0: for an 80-acre field. On 80 acres? Yep.
1: Now, he'll make money back off the hay, but the investment in the lime itself, and that's just a hay field, was about $20,000. So. Yeah, these guys who are planting things like corn and beans and all this other stuff now, you know, they can rotate them and it'll help the soil, but you're still going to have to put lime in every once in a while. I yep. I couldn't even, I couldn't make peace with that cost. Like it's not, I will say the only time I'll ever say that it's not worth it would be when you get to that degree because I, I can't, that's so much money. Right,
0: right. You have to, you have to be making at some point income off of your property at some point Like for you, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to have cattle. You're not going to raise, you know, you're not going to raise horses. I mean, you're not going to bail your food plots and sell them. You know, you might get some, you might get some timber off the, uh, off the property. And I guess that's a, a kind of a, another good question. Do you have any other methods to creating income off your property to, to either, you know, like lessen the, the ratio, the plus minus ratio?
1: Uh, we have a gas line that runs through it. Now I don't make income off of the gas, but my house is tied into it. So I don't pay for pretty much gas. I think my gas bill last year was like a hundred bucks for the whole year, for the
0: whole year. That's for been, the whole year.
1: That's kind of worth it. Yeah. So, you know, there's definitely savings there cause our house is heated with gas. I mean pretty much everything here is gas. And at the time there was actually two houses tied in to the gas line, pulling off a of one meter. Um, and since, we've taken the other house off of the line. So now this year will actually just be our house. So you could probably say my gas bill will be $50 for wow. the entire year. That's good. So I, I, that helps, you know, it yeah. helps ease the pain because I'm, I'm a very cheap individual and <laughs> as much as I love deer hunting and I, I love this process. It's still buying lime was still a cringe. You know, I, I just, I, I don't like to spend the money if I don't have to spend the money.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So now let's talk, I mean, you've got the deer, you got the seed in, or you're going to have the seed in, in September. Um, mm-hmm. when does it, you're in Ohio, right? Yeah. Right. When does the Ohio season start?
1: I think it's September 30th. It's the last Saturday. It's actually later this year than it started the last couple of years from what I've been reading. So yeah, September 30th is the date.
0: All right. So you're doing all this work. This work on the farm equals some form of pressure. Are the deer still coming around and hanging around your property, even with you doing all this extra work? Or or have you noticed that you're continually bumping them off? And what, what I'm trying to get at is, when are you going to lay off your property?
1: Yeah, I've been laying are you even going to do after. it? No, I, I'm consciously thinking about it, but the one change I did this year from last year is I have this year I have never gone back into my property without being on my tractor so I've never gone back there just walking um ever since shed season ended so once shed season stopped I did not go back there again and just walk around I always was back there on my tractor um if I was doing anything on my work-wise I would leave my tractor running um and just through my truck cameras I noticed that the the deer don't seem to be as spooked by that. I'll be back there working, and in, in a couple hours later, still in the daylight, deer will still be coming through.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot. That makes a lot of sense. Um, this year, for me, I've been driving to as many trail cameras as, as I possibly can, and then when I get to the location and to get out and check them, I leave my truck running. Um, yep. I, I I think in the past I used to park on a road or on a drive, walk up to them. And I think I was doing more harm that way than actually driving right up to them and checking them that way.
1: Yeah, I, I even see it in turkeys. I have been driving back there because there's a trail system, like an old two-track trail that runs from my house and it weaves through the center of my property clear to the very backside of the property. Right. So I use that to get, and all the food plots are very close to that that I can get off of the trail to the food plot on the tractor. So I, I really have no reason to drive around and then driving around, I drove past a, a whole flock of Jake's and a couple of longbeards that were probably 40 yards away from me in the tractor. And they never, they just looked at me as I drove past. They didn't even run. Right. Right. So it, yeah, I think it worked. I think it helps anyway. I'm, I'm not sure. So
0: when are you going to stop? I mean, are you going to hunt October at all? Or are you just kind of going to kind of wait to see what shows up or, or do you already have deer on trail camera that are sparking your
1: interest? So I, the last, thing I'm going to do back there is is seed the plots with um winter rye. I have winter rye I'm going to hit all the plots with the last time that'll be right around uh the first week of September. I don't plan on hunting my property much in October unless something different shows up than what I'm seeing now. I have a couple good bucks back there, but I don't want to shoot them. They're I'm fairly confident they're just three years old because I'm able to match them up from deer I was seeing last year. Right. Um there's deer on neighboring properties just in talking to the neighbors uh one guy who hunts a property just north of me he he's from another state and we've become friends and he'll send me pictures from his cellular camera like hey have you seen this deer so i know what's around and there are some deer around that i would shoot but they're not showing up routinely on my ground yet right right so So, i'm going to try to lay off it okay what about does those, I would like to take a few does last year. My goal was to just have those back there. And this year I, I certainly have does. So I'm going to try to do it as low impact as possible in a couple spots that are actually pretty close to my house Yeah, where I'd be able to get them. And if it would actually work right, I would be able just to drive my tractor up to them, throw them in the bucket and go.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and that's an easy way to do it.
1: Hopefully that's, you know, all plans are, uh, They all sound good on paper. Right.
0: (laughs) Um, so I I remember you talking about the neighborhood that this, that your property is in, isn't like world renowned, but every once in a while there's a giant, you know, killed in the area. And Mm -hmm. what happens if a big boy shows up on camera, let's say, I don't know, nocturnally, uh, but on kind of a somewhat regular basis, how often are you going to check your trail cameras leading up to that point? And then like, what, what's your goal uh, this year on your property?
1: So you mean if, so if a big boy shows up my property in terms of, is it going to change my idea of when I'm going to start hunting it? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, if I have a big boy showing up where I think I can kill him, I'll, I'll go in there. I don't think it's worth going in chasing a nocturnal deer back there because it's still somewhat difficult to hunt. I'm still figuring out exactly my access route, So I would be fearful that I would end up screwing up before I would even have a chance at that deer. Um, if I had some daylight pictures of them, even just one, I probably would hunt it earlier than I'm looking for or earlier than I'm expecting to. Um, I, I'm hoping that big boy does show up. Yeah. That'd be nice.
0: <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Do you do you have all of your trail or uh, tree stands hung? I do.
1: Yep, okay. I got that done in July. I had it done by like the second week of July. Okay.
0: Um, so let's walk through a little bit of these uh, these tree stand locations. Um, are they on your food plots? Are they in the timber portion? Where are these? Uh, these tree stands at, and and just remind everybody, how many acres are we talking here? So I own 52 acres. Okay, 52 acres. So on those 52 Mm -hmm. acres, how many tree stands do you have?
1: Uh, Right now I have six.
0: Okay, six on 52. Yeah. Where are these located? Why are they located there?
1: So I have a couple on certain food plots. So I would say I have two that are, on the plots that are in the woods just because I put the plots there for that reason. And I built them. I built the plots to put a tree stand in a specific tree. So I I'm going to try it out. I've never hunted, hunted over a food plot really before. This is still new to me as well. Yep. So I'm hoping that that pans out. And then, uh, the other plots are either in areas just through the topography. There's one really nice saddle on my property. Just, I learned last year that it makes no sense to look at the woods in terms of just looking at the timber for why the deer crossed there. But when you look at a, a map and you have a, the topography lines, it makes sense at that point. Right. So I, I have a I have a stand there, and then I have a couple stands that I created funnels through my hinge cutting, and put stands up in those areas uh, in hopes that I've funneled the deer up around a ridge a certain way, or I've blocked off certain ways that they seemed like they wanted to go. Um, the path of least resistance. I made the path of the most resistance. So now I'm assuming they're going to cut up around a corner and I have stands in those areas.
0: Okay. So they're, they're all up, they're in their strategic locations. Is there one specific tree stand? Because I have a specific tree stand that I cannot wait to hunt during the rut on a north, northwest wind. What about you? Is there a stand on your property that you're just itching to get into when the conditions are right? Yeah, there's a right?
1: couple of them. There's a couple of them. There's one that I put up that uh, it, it's this fence corner that they they cut this fence corner last year. I never really hunted it, but I had a trail camera there. And then when I pulled the camera later in the season, I realized there was two weeks, the, w- the last week of October and the first week of November, where every big deer that I had got a picture of in that property was through there on daylight. Oh, nice. And – I mean, every one of them was through there. So I'm, I had to put a stand there. I can't wait to hunt that, that first week of November or that first cold snap, you know, end of October, maybe, but I can't wait to get into that one. And then that horseshoe or not horseshoe, the, uh, hourglass food plot that I made it's up on this Ridge. It's a beautiful spot. I mean, if I have a Southwest wind, which is pretty common here, it's going to be money. I think they, I I can't wait to get in. They're not going to go below me. Um, They can't go beyond me because that way I blocked it off. I'm going to cut through this food plot or have a water hole there. It just, I'm hoping my expectations aren't higher than what I'm going to see, but I have high expectations for that spot. Right. Absolutely.
0: So with that said, you know, all good tree stands need good access. Um, You mentioned that the way your property lays – There you might be fighting some access issues. Uh Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about that.
1: So I I own fifty-two acres, but it's not like a big square. It's actually two squarish looking shapes that are offset from each other. So it's kind of like an ugly looking figure eight, is how it's connected. It's a weird shape of a of a parcel. And I have gained permission from my neighbors to access certain parts of my property through their property. So that will be a huge help this year oh, that I didn't nice. have last year. Nice. Because last year, if I wanted to access the the far back of my property, I had to walk through all of my property to get there. Okay. And it didn't, I, I don't know if it caused me any problems, but it certainly couldn't have helped me. So I can get to certain parts of my property now by either hopping a fence and walking through a cattle pasture on one side or parking and walking up a two track from the other side. And it should leave my property totally alone. And then I have a portion of my property that has a lot of road frontage. And to get to the uh, tree stand that's on the figure eight plot, I can actually get to that from the road and walk through this just open canopy woods. So there's really nothing there. They never bed there. And I can follow this little ravine clear up to the base of my tree and climb up the tree. That one actually should have great access.
0: Nice. Nice. So... On a scale of, let's say, 1 to 10, rate how well you think you did on uh, habitat improvement and land management up until to this point.
1: Oh, scale of 1 to 10? uh, Maybe a 4 or 5, I would say. I mean, I'm sure I could have done... I would say, yeah, I'm sure I could have done things better or I could have... I, I don't know. Maybe I'm hard on myself. It's... uh. I think I don't you're hard know on yourself.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> I mean, I've I, done a lot, yeah, but I don't know if
0: you're a lot A lot of your goals are, are – it sounds like the goals that you've set out to do have been accomplished, especially in the hedge cutting and girdling. Uh, you got yeah. food plots that are growing and uh, producing, <laughs> and it's you got your tree stands up, and you have decent access to get to those. I mean you've done everything that a guy really needs to do. Uh and plus you're a first timer, so I'm throwing that yeah, I'm throwing yeah. that in there as well. So um you need to give yourself a little bit more credit, my man.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just uh I got it done, but I yeah. want to see how productive it really was. And um I'm always looking to do something better or improve on something more. So I think you know, next year if I was doing this all over again, you know, I, I'm sure I would have done 90% of the things that I did, but there's that 10%. I think I may have done differently, especially with the hinge cutting, uh, in terms of saving some time and cutting down different trees. Yeah. It could have saved me a little bit there, but okay. I'll give myself a seven. I'll okay. say a seven, a solid seven.
0: Okay, good. Cause if you said eight, I was going to be like, Whoa, <laughs> buddy. Yeah, let's not... yeah. Who's this douche? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so... Now it's, you know, hunting season's almost here. You're, you're going to lay off your property for a little bit. You're going to hunt some other property. Then, you know, it sounds like mid, you know, late October in, in the rut, you're going to hunt on your property. And the management kind of takes a back seat during hunting season. I mean, the, the, the activities, or, or does it? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have anything planned between, let's say, that last food plot that you plant in September to the end of the hunting season?
1: No, no, I don't just hunting. And I can tell you that this is one of the first hunting seasons. I'm over the top excited about hunting, but all of the management work and everything that I've been doing, that's been a lot of fun has almost made it feel like hunting season never ended. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I'm waiting for anything other than to see if what I did worked and, um, I, I will turn it off totally. Once that last bag of rye is planted, and then it's going to be strictly hunting, keeping out of there, trying to keep my pressure down. My access should be improved. And, um, if I have to do any other improvements, I'm just going to write them down. I keep a little file on my computer of what things I want to do, and then I'll start hammering it out again, you know, next spring. Right.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, so, I know the way you think, right? You're just like a majority of us. You're always, you're, you're planning for the future, but you're also thinking about the future too. So mm-hmm. after this year stops, have you already put in thought about what the next step on your property is as far as uh, habitat improvement is concerned?
1: Uh, Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there, like I said, still with the hinge cutting, I, I have room for improvement there. I can, Hopefully, get that bedding to be a little more established. I want to get into it after. I don't want to wish the season away, but when shed season gets here or when the season's over, I can't wait to get into these areas I hinge cut just to see what, what are they bedding in and how are they using it? Are they using it like I thought they would use it? Or if not, how can I improve on the way they're using it now? Because it's established at this point. So, if they're using a portion of a hinge cut and not another portion, what can I do to make that portion better? Or you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of where my head's going. Maybe uh, extending one of these food plots a little bit more, but I really think I have enough food given the size of my property. Um, I think I have enough food back there, but, you know, the season will tell that too.
0: And, And if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't your neighbors, don't your neighbors have egg on them as well?
1: No, everything around it okay. is hay.
0: okay, hey. Yeah. So you you may have the market cornered for like new fresh
1: growth. I would say that I do absolutely because the property to the south of me is it used to be where they would bet last year. It seemed like they always bet on this property because it it had a little better cover. Now that cover is – I would say it covers better on my property now compared to that uh, because there wasn't even much down there. So I'm assuming that between the new cover and what I'm hoping is more food, I'm really curious what this fall and winter is going to look like. Right. Okay.
0: So is owning property and and taking part in these habitat improvement – I mean – is it everything that it's shaped out to be? I mean, are you having fun doing this, or is it more work?
1: Um, I can tell you that it is more fun than I thought it would be. Okay, um, it's it really is, and I wanted this for so long. You know, though, as long as I can remember, and just like any other guy that is a hunter says, they want land and doing all these habitat improvements. I I spent a lot of time energy and blood back there. And it's, um, never once that I feel like, man, I'm just too tired to go do it today. Right. Right. You know, I couldn't wait to get out there. It's, it is a ton of fun. Right.
0: So this is a crazy question. And and I do hope that your wife is not listening at this point, but (laughs) has the thought popped in your head, even if it's just a little far off thought about, adding on property to your piece that you already have or purchasing a new piece somewhere else?
1: So it's funny. You should ask that Dan.
0: No um, shit. Yeah. No shit.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> so there's uh, my, my wife actually is on board for, for that. Um, again, for, I've probably painted the picture that I'm kind of a nerd, you yep. know, whether, no matter what I'm doing, I tend to dive into it 200% to figure out as much as I can about it. And, there's another chunk of property that's touching mine. It's actually, it's not for sale or anything currently, but it's landlocked. And um, we are looking at, you know, getting enough, starting that process over again. We actually started again last winter of, of the same way of putting money away for a down payment to be able to try to buy that piece. And if we can't buy that piece, then we're going to look for, another piece of property that we can actually get some investment money off of whether it's tillable ground or, or something. So, um, she's on board a hundred percent because, and I'll tell you why, this is going to be crazy. If we buy that other chunk of property, we're going to get goats and all she wants is goats. <laughs> Dude, I want goats. She wants goats. We have chickens and rabbits right now and she's in heaven. Um, taking care of those things. But yeah, if we buy that other, it's about 38 acres actually that's touching my property. If we can buy that, then, you know, part of it, we can fence in and get, and get some
0: goats. So she is gung ho. Oh, well, that's pretty awesome.
1: Uh, and you can hunt on that too. Absolutely. And it would be very nice to hunt on. Absolutely.
0: My man, I'm jealous of you. I'll put it that way. I like, I don't know what it is about. I don't know. I think a lot of people have the same feelings, especially the people that listen to this podcast. Like, owning land is like the end all be all right it's like i don't know if this is going to make sense but you are officially an american
1: or you're officially a yeah. man if you own land <laughs> what's that uh, white tail property slogan something land, the uh something american dream or yeah. something like that they say yeah, yeah. i i believe I, it. i agree with you
0: well I tell you what I really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast today and uh and update us on your on your property. This has been an awesome journey uh, I know i got I get a lot of feedback from the listeners saying uh that they are enjoying listening to what you're doing the trials the tribulations and and some of the failures and and the successes that you've gone through with this property now the next time I want you on is let's say maybe January or February after you uh slam a monster on your own property. Oh, boy. Now, this is what I want to ask you. How satisfying would it be to kill a giant on your own farm out of one of your own food plots?
1: It literally think about that and it sounds corny, but it actually kind of it gave me goosebumps to even think about that. Right. It, it it literally did. It gave me. I have goosebumps on my arms right now from right. from thinking of that. I I don't lo- one to ten. You that's like it. a forty. You would. I would. Lo- I would. You would lose your mind. I am the least emotional person. My wife compares me to a rock. I I, I don't show <laughs> a ton of emotion. You know. I think she's seen me cry twice, and one time was when my dog died. <laughs> and we've been together for over 10 years. So I would probably, I would probably cry if I shot a giant in one of my food plots. I am man enough to say I would probably cry. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. Yeah.
0: Man, I'm pulling for you. I hope this all works out again. Thank you very much. And man, good luck this upcoming
1: season. Thank you very much. Hey, man, I enjoy doing these. I'm looking forward to uh, January, February. I'm hoping I have enough to do uh, an enjoyable podcast
0: huge shout out to brent for coming back on the podcast for the third time i there are a lot of stories that i'd like to follow especially the more i talk to you guys you guys are sending me pictures you guys are sending me uh you know hey i guess what man I, i i got access to this property and check out this trail camera pic i hope i i just hope everybody has a successful season And that doesn't necessarily mean killing a buck, but just being able to get out into the timber and do what we love to do. Follow our passion. Uh, whether you're a bow hunter, whether you're a gun hunter, hell, whether you use a spear, I don't care. Uh, if it's ethical and it's legal, I'm all for it. Uh, I, I wish each and every one of you guys the best of luck as well. And I really appreciate the, uh, emails, uh, that you guys send me with, uh, you know, updates to yourself as well. And trust me when I say I'm following along as much as I can. And for example, with Brent and his property, I hope he lays down a stud this year and all that management pays off for him. Uh, because at the end of the day, it, it is our passion. Uh, huge shout out to each and every one of you for following along, listening to the podcast, because, uh, if it wasn't for you, this would not be happening huge shout out to the partners of this podcast exodus trail cameras gearhead wasp archery deer lab ripcord air arrest lone wolf tree stands ozonics and bighorn outfitters i hope that's everybody i think it is if i missed you i'm tired i'm sorry other than that guys uh follow me on instagram twitter Facebook, a lot of new stuff coming up later this week. There's going to be an introduction. Uh, there's going to be a, a pretty big announcement coming uh, that I'm definitely excited for. Uh, be sure to go and sign up for the Lone Wolf giveaway that is going to be on in September, uh, the very first week of September, and that is lone wolf hunting products com slash nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And uh, Sign up because uh, you don't. You might win a free tree stand. Other than get that, guys, go sign up for the National Deer Alliance. Please go do that. It's very simple. It's free. Hell, sign up for the QDMA too. It's only thirty-five bucks a year. Uh, that's like, you know, one weekend without booze and, you know, and a, and a one truck decal. So there's that and you get a lot of good information with it other than that hunting season's here please be safe not only for yourself but the others around you and if you're going to be in a tree wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week